at this dark place. I get so scared. Got it. Good. So are we doing a five, four, three, two, one? Hi, this is Candy in Chicago. And Eugene in Toronto for the Agency Podcast. That's right. Uh, well, we are recording something, even though we have this week's episode up with with uh, Lopez. We want to work ahead and see if we can have one in the can or a bonus episode or how would you put it, Eugene? Well, the, the thing is, I'm going to be going to Quetico. And when this is aired, maybe I will be at Quetico. But we want to be able to have an episode ready to go so that you can just uh, load it up uh, so our, uh, our, our listeners don't uh, have an interruption in, our, uh, in episodes. So we're, we're doing rabid, a little bit of extra Our work. rabid, needy listeners. That's right. <laughs> I think it's just you and I who are rabid. Um, well, maybe. And plus, we oh, have no. another interview coming up at the end of the week, I know. Uh, which may turn into another whole episode. It might. So um, we may have a wealth of material, which is good because, you know, for a year and a half or however long we've been doing this, a year and three quarters, um, we've been doing it just in time. Just in uh, time. And plus, we haven't missed we haven't missed a week yet in I don't know 100 True. and however many episodes True. this is uh, we haven't missed a week we have been we normally um, publish on Tuesdays there has been an occasional Wednesday yeah. but um, I think we've been pretty on the on the ball in terms of getting the podcast out True. And um, for we might have some new listeners this episode. And if we do, thank you for tuning in to us and checking us out. So if we do have some new listeners, let's uh, recap what Quetico is. Oh, well, I'm going to go on a, a canoe trip uh, yeah. with my buddy, East Texas Red. Okay. And we're, we're going to be doing a backcountry canoe trip in Quetico Provincial Park. And for our American listeners... Um, you may not be familiar with Quetico, but you may have heard of something called Boundary Waters. And Quetico is a provincial park that's just above the border. And just below the border is an extension of that park, I suppose, which is the Boundary Waters canoe area uh, in the United States. Um, and so they're kind of twin, twin parks. Um, about 90% of, uh, of Quetico's visitors actually come from the United States. They, they will either um, come through the boundary waters and cross the border within the park, which you could do, mm -hmm. uh, I guess, at a ranger station or something like that is the Porter office. Um, or a lot of people will drive up into Ontario. Uh, Quetico is just below Atacocan, Ontario. That's west of Thunder Bay, uh, just north of, uh, of Eli, Minnesota. And it's a huge backcountry park. It's canoeing paradise. Mm -hmm. And uh, East Texas Red and I um, have a trip planned, um, which uh, is about uh, a little over 100 kilometers. 
15 lakes, 22 portages, and it's in a loop. So okay. there's a, a small portion of the trip that's repeated, which is um, the first part, which is also the last part. And then we do uh, a loop. We go south, uh, southwest, and then at a lake called Sturgeon Lake, uh, we turn around and start going back um, north, east, and then northwest. So it's in basically a circle. Right now, there's uh, a lot of fires in northwestern Ontario. Mm. And as a result of those fires, uh, a section of Quetico is closed. And that means that they've had to go in and ask all the campers to move out um, because it's wild there. It's, there's nothing. There's no buildings. There's no, there's no people except for canoeists. Mm -hmm. And the closure in Quetico um, extends north to just below Sturgeon Lake which is the southernmost lake that we're going to visit. If they close Sturgeon Lake, we're going to have to adjust our route. The other thing that the fire situation means is that right now there's a fire ban in Quetico. Mm -hmm. And our intention had been to do all of our cooking using open fires and a little twig stove that I had made. Uh, you may have uh, heard about the twig stove on an earlier episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm and seen the video. Well, if uh, if the fire ban is still in place when, when we go into the park, which will be on the 21st uh, or 22nd, something like that, um, we'll only be able to use a gas stove. So we have to bring along a gas stove and if the, uh, the fire ban is still on, that's what we'll be using. So we'll be off in the bush. Um, the only people we might see are occasional other parties of canoers mm -hmm. and we'll be camping i'll be hammock camping party might be too strong a word <laughs> it might be <laughs> a flock of canoeists <laughs> we won't see many people okay. especially since the border from the united states to canada is just opening up right. and so it will be difficult for people to plan a trip to Quetico that quickly. Uh, East Texas Red and I have spent a good part of a year planning ours, but maybe that's because we like planning. It's fun. Uh, so we're expecting that since 90% of the visitors come from the States and there won't be many people from the States, we may see nobody. Mm -hmm. It's quite possible. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Okay. Good. Good. It sounds like a great trip. And you've been drawing food for it and preparing and packing. And yes, that sounds I, fantastic. I just prepared the other night, I prepared a mix for fry bread or bannock. Mm -hmm. That's really going to be, they're going to be more like uh, corn fritters than anything else. Okay. Um, but it's basically flour and cornmeal and uh, salt and baking soda and baking powder. Mm -hmm. and mix that with water and fry it up and we have fry bread so i've been doing that and i'm going to make one more batch of beef jerky um so we have plenty of uh stuff to uh to chew on while we're canoeing and we're getting ready to go yeah um cool very good. Um, you know, it's weird because you kind of touched on something that we're doing something different. Well, also different is that, you know, I'm starting to have that feeling of where we were talking about how we recorded a certain way. We would just get things up on time on our personal deadline of Tuesdays. 
sometimes Wednesday or Thursday if we were really jammed. But it's funny because we've been recording most of this podcast. We didn't know this was going to happen that we through the pandemic. And now we've moved into an opportunity of action where you're going camping. I'm going to galleries. You'll probably see some art shows in the near future. You'll, you've been to a movie. We've both been to a movie here and there during this time period where the beginning of this was a lot of action where we were traveling and doing things. Now sure, I, I was in Hanoi. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's weird because we're going through this new change again while making this podcast. It was kind of weird. I guess. Hey, uh, you know. Sheila and I saw a movie just the other night. Oh, okay. We went to see Stillwater. Oh, I almost saw it. I wish I'd known you went, and, but I had a reason why I didn't want to see it. Why did you not want to see it? I think she did it. <laughs> well, um, I watched the Amanda Knox documentary and I just could barely handle watching her talk. Sorry. Well, let me just say that Stillwater, uh-huh. um, well, it is um, inspired by the Amanda Knox story. Mm-hmm. And maybe you could just give a quick recap of that in a second. Right. Um, I would say it's a work of fiction. Okay. It is not a documentary. It is not about Amanda Knox. Okay. It is about a young woman in prison in France, not in Italy, whose <laughs> father, played by Matt, Matt Damon, goes well, uh, over to visit her and she um, wants, she gives a note to her lawyer because she thinks that she knows who the killer, the mm. actual killer of her girlfriend uh, is and in in the uh, in Stillwater, um, the woman who gets killed is the lover of uh, the Allison character. Okay. Uh, and so, so really, the, oh, so I so, would say okay. <laughs> we're supposed to be not cutting each other off when we. Have I know, video but camera. we're gonna do it anyway. Uh, in in Stillwater, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that really. It's a movie that's about relationships. It's about the relationship between Bill, Matt Damon's character, and his daughter, Allison. Um, It's about the relationship between Bill and a child named Maya. And uh, Bill and his relationship with a woman, Maya's mother, Virginie, um, who he meets and who helps him. um, And they eventually become like a family. Um, so it's very, very much about um, the relationships and also about what you will do to protect somebody very dear to you. Yes. Interesting. So I, I would put it that uh, from what you've told me as I would associate it with the movie with Jack Lemon in the 80s called Missing, where he goes to find his son who might have been captured by, uh, you know, dictatorship in South America or not without my daughter where they're trying, they're being evacuated and they have to go back and get their child. So I guess it really, or taken with Liam Neeson, it's really about that um, where a parent suddenly who's, their child has grown up, left the nest. They're really free to be an adult, but the parent has to revisit their role as a parent and caregiver all over again with an adult child. Um, Yes. And yeah, um, and in this case, the relationship between father and daughter is pretty rough. Um, oh. Matt Damon plays a character who is a roughneck. And as he explains in the film, 
he makes holes. That's what roughnecks <laughs> do. They make holes. So he works in the oil industry, making holes. Mm. And um, he was not a great father. Uh, he uh, was kind of a fuck up. And mm-hmm. his daughter explains that and says, I know this to be so because I have it too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, How did you feel about the movie? I thought it was a, it was quite a strong movie. It wasn't great as an action adventure movie, but it was great as a drama. Cool. Uh, I thought that Matt Damon did a really fine acting job and the support characters were all very strong as well. Um, Part of it, the first part uh, dealt dealt very much with um, roughneck guy from Oklahoma tries to deal with France. Okay. And and France is winning. Um, But um, he he meets someone who um, who kind of likes projects and she's going to she's going to help him out. Okay, Uh, And so he he gets to know this woman and in particular the daughter. and I'm not going to ruin this movie. I'm right, not going to say right. what happens. Usually I'm, I'm right up there ruining movies since 2019. It's well, what we you, do, but you, I'm not going to ruin this one. You know what? Um, you actually convinced me to go see it. I, I would definitely yeah. go see it. I wouldn't yeah. worry about the, it ha, its relationship to the Amanda Knox okay. story. Thanks. I mean, clearly <laughs> that's what sparked the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I don't know that much about the Amanda Knox case. Um, I know that she has spoken out and said, hey, I'd be willing to talk to the director about about it. And I think she seems to be upset that somebody has gone and done um, a fictional work loosely based on her story and she wasn't interviewed or involved in it. But I really think it's besides the point. That sounds just like Amanda Knox to me. (laughs) So can you give our listeners a a quick background in the Amanda Knox case? I don't feel like I'm like the authority on it. I certainly know that um, a lot of people think she was wrongly imprisoned. Uh, She went to study in in Italy, Italy and she had a roommate and she embraced the um, living in the in the in the society. She got a boyfriend, and they were hanging out. She came home one night, or someone discovered her roommate violently murdered in her apartment. Um, why? I I really you know what happened was is that the Amanda Knox story, the documentary I saw, was really saying that the Italian government is completely corrupt, and so is law enforcement. And it has a long, long reputation of that and that she was caught in the middle of it. And the detective claimed that it was a supernatural Satan, you know, satanic panic murder. I wonder what our guest Sarah Elliott thinks about the Amanda Knox story. Maybe she'll uh, hear this and uh, let us know because she's pretty good at figuring out if something's a conspiracy theory or not. And so they locked this woman up and her boyfriend and they based it on some of their behavior. They were necking next to the crime scene while the police were in there investigating. Uh, Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's kind of like the Seinfeld episode where they were necking in uh, Schindler's List in the film. It was so inappropriate (laughs) that episode, right? Like how could you be making out in Schindler's List? Um, So, you know, in the documentary, I guess at the end of the day, I feel there's maybe something not, maybe personality disorder, maybe 
Uh, she doesn't connect enough. She's not connected to the world. Maybe it's some kind of privilege uh, that she has that makes her feel that she's entitled. Uh, it, you know what? She just didn't sit well with me. And I feel terrible because it's not very nice of me to say, but I felt that she was not, felt she was guilty. And, you know, you just get that stuck in your head and you just can't get it out. Um, it's a good thing I'm not the detective and it's a good thing I'm not in the jury. Um, I would have to be very honest if I was ever in jury to if I thought somebody was guilty. God, I'm going to have to tell them, don't put me on there. Can't trust me. Well, in Stillwater, um, what's alike to the Amanda Knox story is that um, this young woman is living with her girlfriend, mm -hmm. um, where I guess it's a roommate in, mm -hmm. in Amanda Knox's situation. Um, and um, she comes home one day and the, uh, the roommate is dead. Right. And she gets, she gets accused of, uh, of the killing. Uh, she says she never did it. She didn't do it. And um, we find out a little bit more about that along the way, mm -hmm. um, just what her role might have been in this. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's as close to ruining it as I'm going to get. Right, right. Fair enough. Um, um, Matt, Matt Damon, great, great job. Um, uh, I, the The young young girl who played the the young girl maya did a really really fabulous job um and as did really all the the support cast it was a really really strong um uh, uh cast that that made the film uh, that really i would say supported uh the the matt damon character because yeah. really that's the key thrust in it was his character yeah. um, it has a very abrupt kind of ending that I found Ooh. to be unsatisfying. Uh, although I certainly understood the ending and I understood why why it, it was that way. Yeah. Um, but uh, that was the hardest part for me was, was the ending of this. Uh, but I, I think it's well worth, well worth seeing. Uh, it only took me about 10 minutes to forget that Matt Damon um, was Jason Bourne. Oh, you're you know, funny. It's like he's not running from any agents. I love him. No though. explosions. I think, he's, I think he's an amazing actor. But yeah, that's good. I'm glad you were able to forget that he was, wasn't running yeah. from explosions. That's hey, right. I, so bizarrely, I, he's come out, he's come out it, during the publicity for this film. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's come out and said, you know, uh, I was a bad guy. I've said words that I shouldn't say. And he was referring to uh, a a word referring to people who are homosexual. Uh, but I've turned over a new leaf um, after talking with my family or something. And, and I don't say things like that anymore. It was just really weird that yeah. he should come out to say that. I don't know if that was part of the publicity machine for the film. Um, or well, maybe he had an email out there or a Twitter, uh, you know, he put something out. I mean, he must have had something that maybe he felt he had to apologize or maybe he wanted to address the issue with his family. Yeah. Or maybe he had some kind of epiphany and realized that he had behaved like a jerk somehow. I don't know. Um, but it's it's sort of besides the point for the movie. Uh, I could say he did a fine job um, as this character who. He's a roughneck. He's a, a rough and tumble kind of guy, but he insists on um, saying grace for every meal. Um, oh. And he prays. He does a lot of praying. Mm -hmm. um, he's got an Oklahoma accent. 
he's um he's a guy who's kind of screwed up a lot he's mm -hmm. he's was used to drink a lot he did a lot of bad things when he was drinking doesn't drink anymore um not a very sophisticated guy doesn't have a good relationship with anybody really huh. um but you sense that he has a good heart and he's trying to work on his relationship with his daughter and these other relationships come into his life at the same time which is what really makes the film rich and interesting very interesting i will go check it out i, I wish i had now um, I went and saw the Jungle Cruise instead because I've been watching so many, like I mentioned last week or two weeks ago, I've been watching so many heavy things. I thought I better go just see some fluff. And what um, is that all about? Oh, I, I did mention it. It's, it's The Rock. It's oh, okay, right, kinda, right. Yeah, we did talk about it last week. Um, I watched something on Netflix that was fantastic that you will love. Maybe you've already seen it. Um, it's a three-part, so it's six episodes, but it's a three-part story called Heist. And I can't recommend it enough. It's um, it kind of ties into what you're saying, where you really see um, a true life story. It's true life crime. Uh, it's done in three parts. Hard to parts. believe that anyone would make a true crime story today, huh? I know, I know. It's so good, Eugene. You will love it. There actually so are take... people living in Toronto, for instance, who haven't made their own true life crime story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they probably run microbreweries or restaurants on oh, College probably. Street. I don't yeah. know. Well, that's the that's the backup story. Um, so carry on. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know where we're going with that. Um, yeah, so I just want to tell you a quick thing about it because it's really good and very entertaining and really well made. So they highlight three heists in the last, let's say, twenty years. The first one is um, with Heather Tallchief. And she gets involved with her boyfriend, who's a criminal and a grifter, and they decide to rob the money from a casino in Vegas. And so they reenact the crime, but they also talk to the woman. So you've got this big close-up shot of the, of the mastermind and the, the, the henchman or whatever. Her boyfriend was the mastermind, but she worked. He got her to get a job at Loomis or some armored truck. And they steal it, and they they, they they talk about the whole story. So there's two parts to every heist. Three heists, two parts. The first part is all the sexy, fun, exciting. You really believe in these guys, and you kind of feel for them. <laughs> they, they talk you about You want to go out and steal some shit, too. Yeah. They, well, I don't know if you want to steal some shit, but you certainly side with them. Because they, you know, listen, their con art worked on me watching it um their gift for the gab worked on me while they tell their story they have a reason why they do it how it accidentally kind of happened how it evolved or escalated and they get you on their side it has been described as catch me if you can you know with leonardo dicaprio that mm -hmm. kind of feeling so the first episode of the two-part story is the criminals side of the story the pursuit of the ice and they are really good at presenting their 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 lives and then the second part is the capture so when and you are it's got so the first part has like giddy fun the second part has dread and curiosity and it really works i couldn't stop watching it, it was a lot of fun the second um heist is with carl oh what's his name carl monson who they steal seven and a half million dollars off a loading dock at an airport <laughs> 
And uh, the criminal, the, the, the never know what you're going to find on a loading dock. The detectives are like, how is this just sitting there with only a yellow line protecting it? <laughs> you know, how a loading yellow dock line. has a yellow line <laughs> protecting it. There was no security. They walked in, put the money on a, on a forklift and got away with seven and a half million dollars. And you're kind of like, yay. <laughs> and then you watch. And like I said, they're very likable. Now the first one, she it was an actress talking about her story so at the end she said i can't really tell you the story i'm in hiding the second one though was the guy and uh who kind of came up with the plot and got away with it and then got caught the third one this one was absolutely delightful this is the best one i think it was the bourbon thief it's bourbon baseball and family and it's the guy kurt toby kurt singer and he worked oh, for Bumble. okay. I you saw that story? part of it. Sheila oh, was did. watching it. Oh, yeah. And I tuned in when the when that episode came yes, on. Yes, it was really yes. good. And he, I mean, I could hang out with him. He is just a storyteller. He's absolutely charming. And he just merely took some bottles in his purse or his satchel. Because everybody did. Everybody, everybody took a bottle everybody here and there. Everybody was taking it. Um, what a great series. I'm sure there's going to be more. Um and it really falls upon the personalities of these people. You, it wouldn't work if they weren't absolutely interesting people. I don't yes, think it would in, be in that at episode, all. As it was very much like, and I think they even use that language. Well, I know a guy. Yeah, yeah. And he they says, know well, a guy. I, I'm the guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm the guy that people know. You, yep. you want to get hooked up with this special bourbon? You mm-hmm. talk to me. Yeah. And and so he, you know, he he takes a few bottles and then. He sells the odd bottle here and there, and it turns into quite the little uh, enterprise. Yeah, and they show the law enforcement. The guy really was quite pimped up to be on TV, really. He was ob- obsessed with getting himself on TV. So you don't like the cop. It's That's right. really a lot of fun because you you don't really like the cop. You think, what the hell? It's just some bourbon. <laughs> Who cares? And I okay, think most, I care most that they of stole us it, but... know someone who seems to be a really good guy who has that special deal. Yeah. You know, yeah. he just gets that special, gets yeah. a little something cheap. Yeah. It's and you don't want to know truck. where they get it. Right? No, you don't. No, they're allowed to. Yeah. So anyway, it was a lot of fun. I, I hope uh, I recommend it to everyone. It was just so much fun. Really sick. Really one of the best little um, series I've seen on Netflix in a long time, especially since I feel like I'm losing I'm having a hard time finding things on Netflix now. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of many years ago when I lived in the old casket factory. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a guy knocked on my door one day and I'd never met him before. And he said, hey, I, I'm I'm a friend of your, your friend Peter next door. He uh-huh. tells me you like scotch. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, 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 I do like scotch. And he yeah. says, what's your favorite scotch? And I said, well, 16-year-old Lagavulin. Mm-hmm. And he said, what would be a really fantastic price to get a bottle of that at? And I said, a fantastic price? Well, I mean, if somebody offered me a bottle for $25, oh, um, it would be a really fantastic price. And he said, if you could get a bottle for $25, how many bottles would you want? Oh, wow. And I thought, well, geez, my dad would like a bottle of that. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, hypothetically, if, if that was available, uh, you know, I could use two bottles. Mm-hmm. And the next day, this guy knocks <laughs> on my door and he's got two bottles. Of because he walked into the liquor store and slipped it down his pants. 
Well, as it turns out, I found out much, much later, oh. he used a briefcase. Oh, he and used he a briefcase. Was, Fancy. He was knocking on all the doors in the building, <laughs> taking orders and going into different liquor stores with his briefcase and stealing booze to order wow. i mean and i i was just naive i should have right. realized no oh, he's I, just yeah. gonna go steal maybe, them maybe you should have noticed i don't you know, know. i naive. don't know anyway um i i hope you i did buy it. these two two bottles of scotch <laughs> and i i will say that i didn't buy any more but <laughs> i would like to be able to say it was because i i was strong and said no i don't want your hot scotch <laughs> he just um, didn't knock but, again well, he got involved in, he got really drunk with some other people in the building. Oh. And one of the guys in the building, well, he he was former Russian special forces in Afghanistan. <laughs> and also this guy was fancy. drunk and made some kind of comment about Russians. Anyway, um, Russian dude beat him within an inch of his life. Wow. There was a huge puddle of blood in front of my neighbor's place. And we, we never saw this guy again um, or the other guy. They just both disappeared. Um, you know, now that it's going to be a fancy condo, we're just going to have guys killing their wives in that building. <laughs> who knows it's gonna be so boring there. you know it they, they've <laughs> announced years ago now it's probably four or five years ago that that it was that it was going to be transformed into condos but i haven't seen any work being done and i think there's still people in the building so mm. i don't know what's going you know, on there I, I noticed in a bookstore one time i don't know what bookstore it was um, that they had all like Jack Kerouac and William Burroughs. I had to go get it opened up. And I thought, oh my God, it's going to be so expensive. Maybe I don't want this copy. And the, 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 the bookstore, what do you call it? Assistant or worker, whatever, dude. server, dude, dudette. Um, they said, no, we have to lock up beatnik books because they get stolen all the time. Of course. <laughs> because they're the hottest sellers in, That's right. uh, we'll steal in this an book, alternative right? community that would be looking for quick money, i.e. heroin or drugs, that their friends will buy those books. Wow. Yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> the dream lives on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. So another crime drama that was really quite excellent on, uh, on Netflix. I don't I'm assuming know this was a yet. fictional one. This one actually is a fictionalized version of another true crime. <laughs> because I thought we weren't watching true crime anymore. <laughs> no, no, we don't watch true crime or coming of age stories. Okay. <laughs> well, this one is, um, it was from 2019. It's on Netflix. It's called uh, Delhi Crime. Oh, yeah. And there's going to be a second season. Oh. This one is based on um, a a terrible crime you would have heard of heard about it happened in 2012 in delhi and um a woman and her boyfriend were attacked and the woman was um gang raped by six oh. by six men and beaten with a steel rod and raped with a steel rod and she finally died as a result of um of this just horrendous crime. I mean, it was all over the papers here when it happened. I remember the story. Um, and so this season of Delhi crime uh, deals with the aftermath of this crime and this task force that is put together to apprehend the, uh, the culprits. 
uh, it's directed by um, a Canadian director from Mississauga named Richie Mehta. Um, it's uh, shot in Delhi in 62 days in uh, wow. winter of 2018. And it's really an engrossing story. And part of it is it's exotic. It's in a, a, a different country, different culture. Um, you, you're constant, really concentrating on the dialogue because it's in English, but all the dialogue is with strong Indian accents. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you have to really listen carefully because we're not used to um, those inflections. Uh, and as well, you know, police are could be screw ups everywhere, no matter what the culture is. And there's a lot of police screw ups here in, in Delhi, in Delhi crime. You know, uh, can I go home now? I'm not feeling well. Uh, no, you can't go home until we catch the culprits. Get back to work. Oh, okay. And there's a lot of that kind of thing going on. And the chief investigator woman, um, her daughter wants to move to Toronto because there's nothing good in Delhi. She wants to get out of uh, out of India, uh, and they've got this task force that are on the ball. Mostly, uh, they're they're kind of Keystone cops a little bit, but um, but they they find out what happened, and they throughout the series they gradually nab all the. Uh, all the people who are in, involved in it. Um, all eyes are focused on the investigation. It's very uh, high media presence. There's protesters going on. Um, and there's a lot of people in the police force know that someone is gonna be made the scapegoat. So there's a lot of that kind of internal police action um, happening. It was beautifully played. Mm -hmm. Um, Chef Ali Shah is just great as the deputy commissioner of Vartika Katarwidi. Uh, I don't know. I can't even read my own writing as usual. Um, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, but she is really, really strong. And as well, you know, here, everybody knows police brutality is a bad thing, even though some exist. Mm -hmm. Well, here they're in the station and they've got, uh, they've got a, a, one of the suspects in and he's, he's confessing and she calls him a fucking asshole and takes off her shoe and starts beating him with her shoe. So there's, there's a lot of this. And then, and then she, she says to the rest of the team, okay, I'm done with him. You could kick him, beat him, do whatever you want, but don't leave any marks. Mm -hmm. So there's a much different kind of, there's a casualness of police violence, which is really disconcerting in it. Um, there's going to be a second season in which there's going to be a different story. I don't know if that will be based on a true story or fictional. Um, it'll have the same set of characters, the same task force, but in, in a different story. And again, set in Delhi. So you get all the, the wonderful cinem cinematography opportunities um, in, in Delhi, which is uh, an incredibly... Uh, picturesque city it's it's crowded and crazy and 
you know, it reminded me a little bit of, of, uh, of, of, of Vietnam with, you know, there's, there's bikes and vehicles everywhere, lots of traffic. Um, it's everything is a really frenetic kind of, uh, pace outside going on. Uh, I'm going to highly recommend this one. Uh, it's, uh, it takes a little bit of concentration because you really have to focus on sure. what's going on in terms of the dialogue and, um, figuring out who which character is doing what and what all their roles are sure. well it sounds um, like a good crime story that way it's a really good crime story it's a really good story uh, i i highly recommend it so when they are going to do a second season do you think it'll be another true crime fictionalized well i don't know okay. i don't know i right. i tried to find that out i wasn't nice. able to um, nice. i was only able to find out that they have a, a second season planned right right um, well, I'm going to jump to another show to recommend. Right. I've watched the first season before. Uh, I probably got through most of the first season and I couldn't get it the second season. I wasn't able to get it. I'm, I haven't, and I still haven't watched it because now I'm watching the whole thing again with um, Stag because Zach had, he, uh, one of our listeners, Zach, the beekeeper, had said, Have you watched Lodge 49? And I was like, Absolutely, I have. Have you watched Lodge 49? No, I have not. Oh, it's really one of the most delightful shows made in the last few years. Probably came out in 2018. And um, I kind of, because I don't think I, I, I'm down two episodes of the, of the first season, and, and I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, I ended up purchasing the first season so that Steg and I could watch it. Okay, and so it's not streaming? I think it's streaming in Canada. It's not streaming okay. here. It's from AMC, so it's a cable TV show, which is kind of amazing. And it feels to me, one of the reasons I really liked it is because of the sense of community like Parks and Rec or Northern Exposure. And it is has it a the, comedy? It's comedy drama. Okay. It's a, a series. And um, it's absolutely wonderful. It has um, the actors in it are Wyatt Russell, Sonia Cassidy, Brent Jennings, Linda Emon, and David Pasquesi. And basically right. you've got this kind of, it, it's got about, what's amazing about it is that they can make so many references and so many pop culture, um, almost uh, archetypes, contemporary archetypes, if you will, like the dude in the big Lebowski. The main character really looks like Jeff Bridges. And in fact, his name is not dude, it's Dud. So the show is extremely self-conscious of what it's done. And, um, and yet you completely can forget it and watch the whole show with these entertaining characters and not think about the Big Lebowski. It's, I don't even know how it accomplished this. It's almost like it just let anything come into the show. And the characters are very lovable. So you have a guy who is frustrating. He's a surf bum. He's living in his car. He doesn't seem to have any kind of motivation for anything. He's pretty depressed. I'm going to say he's got a lot of depression. It's set after the crash. So I'm guessing around 2009, although it was, it's made about 10 years after the, the initial crash. So homes have closed, jobs are being bled out. And his sister works um, almost like in the, in the restaurant Twin Peaks. Uh, it's a, a, a sexy Irish bar. I think it's called Sham Rocks <laughs> with X's, not CKS. And, you know, a sexy short, brief kilt. And she, they've lost their family. They've lost their dad. They've lost their house. 
uh, and they sort of get along. They have scenes in this where um, they've reconnected and she's, he's landed up sleeping on her couch because they ran into each other. And I guess she found out he was living in his car. So she's letting him sleep on her couch. He owes her thousands of dollars of money. They're in debt paying off their foreclosed house. Their house is foreclosed from their dad. He died, left them in debt, and she's trying to pay off that debt. So it sounds so grim, right? Sounds horrible. Yet they found a magical way to put the setting in that has things with um, people losing their jobs. He sort of gets hired by a temp agent. Um, one of the best lines in it is that, oh, a temp, a temp workers are the only ones who have job security. So it's definitely aware of the end of empire, that the America, the United States is dead in the water and gone. There's lots of water references, pools, plumbing. It, it's so fun and everyone's delightful. You, you finds, know, now, now when someone mentions a temp agency, um, I, I always now think of the temp agency for villains. Yes. Yes, that's true. That's true. Yep. Um He's not a villain. It's it, 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 it. What's so good is I can tell you all these stereotypes of our culture and the mood, the TV show still feels fresh. Is that amazing or what? Sounds good. Yeah, it's so good. He finds so he's he's bumming on the beach and he's got one of those um, coin detectors and he finds a ring and the ring's got this cat on it. And so he's some, a detectorist. Yeah, but he's not a very good one. He's not committed. He's not good at anything. It seems like he's not good at anything. What he is good at is finding belief, finding friends, finding something to get excited about. He wakes up because he wakes up psychologically because he finds out when he goes to the pawn shop where this ring is from. It's worth no money. So somehow he accidentally returns the ring to its source. And it's a lodge in a small town. And he meets this guy and the guy gives him a lot of excitement and he finds out that he really wants to get involved in this community. Is that and lodge this, like a moose lodge or lodge like lodge a... Lodge like a moose lodge, a lynx, if you will, not a moose, a lynx. Okay. Uh, they do scout parties. They do church pancake parties. Got it. And yeah. they've got a pub inside their lodge. They're a service organization. They are a service organization, not unlike the Kiwanis. And um, I'm not giving anything away. I highly recommend this show. Um, what I can say is that when Stag saw that the first episode was called As Above, So Below, he went, oh, my God. Now, As Above, So Below, are you familiar with that phrase? Heard it. Yeah, it's part of the Illuminati. So basically, I was pretty excited when I did notice that I went, what the hell? Um, As Above, So Below, um, it's part of a kind of a Hermes. It's in tons of cultures. Is that what you Illuminati types say to each other when you when you meet in no, we lieu don't of say a it. secret handshake? No, we don't say it to each other. Um, we recognize when we see that it's it's emerged. It's an emergence. It's not a saying. Um, Got and it. what it stands for is that whatever happens in the, in the sky happens on Earth. That's what it really means. So if you construct something like a stupa or a story or a painting, and you are in the Illuminati, you would construct it as above, so below. So it would be personifications of things that are happening in the night sky. Anyway, that's just the first episode. It's a lot of fun. Uh, there's all kinds of amazing characters. Like I said, it has the feel-goodness of Parks and Rec and Northern Exposure. And I highly recommend it. It's must-see TV. All right. Hey, I have some news. 
yeah the final the final volume of <laughs> uh comic goodness yeah. that is Squeezebox man yeah. is at the printer fantastic and will be ready any day this is and unbelievable it's a uh, uh, regular listeners will know that it's uh, a project that's been going on oh. right through from the beginning of this of this podcast. That's right. It's a collaboration with my friend Jacob Urex, who does the illustration, but mm-hmm. also helped develop the, uh, the the characters. And it's based on a book of stories I made, but the characters have grown and changed since that that book. And this is, this is the final episode. The intention was uh, there would be six uh, six volumes uh, or six issues, uh, but we uh, just had too much content, so we had to go to seven. So those smart people who bought the whole set up front pay for six and get seven. Yeah, so that's a um, good deal. It will be available in a few days, and anyone interested can. Um, can contact me through the agency is fine at the agency dot podcast at gmail.com. And uh, I can send you out a copy. They're uh, 15 uh, Canadian dollars uh, per issue, including shipping to anywhere. Yay. And we have all copies of all seven. So if you need to catch up, we can set you up with that too. It's something that, you know, I, it's a, a project I'm very proud of. I, I think it's a, a a really good a really good project. I've never done a graphic novel before. Uh, it's really changed the way I've had to write yeah. uh, as I created the stories for it. And yeah. it was also really interesting for me to collaborate with somebody. Something mm. that I will freely admit I'm not all that good at because <laughs> I like to be the boss, right? Hey, yeah, that's I like to gonna... talk and not listen. <laughs> Well, that's what being a film director is all about. Although I would call it leadership opportunities. <laughs> Although this podcast is another collaboration Hello. opportunity that, that, you know, it's amazing. We still like each other. We haven't tried to Definitely. kill each other yet or anything. Definitely. Definitely. Oh, I don't Although even know. It's been close a couple, couple of uh, episodes. You know. <laughs> hey, you know what? We, we disagree. We're going to go down in infamy over uh, fantastic fungi. We did not agree on that. And I, I felt pretty feisty about it. Um, you know what? I don't know if you watch this or not. I know I've, I've posted on Instagram on my personal account uh, that um, I'm really into, I feel like I got my first Teen Tiger Beat magazine uh, because on a streaming right now is Val. Uh, yes, we watched the, Val as well. You did? Yes, did we did. Did you enjoy it? Yes, I'm going to say yes. You uh, stay. I've watched it twice. Stag enjoyed it too. I don't think he was over the moon like I was. I was really into it. Well, we watched it uh, late one night, and yeah. we didn't get to the end of it because we were both very tired. Yeah. And before I went to bed, I said, "That's enough, Val Kilmer home <laughs> movies for tonight." And I could have not gone back to it. I would have been okay about it. Yeah. And then um, went back the next day and watched the last half hour of it, and. Um, I'm really glad that I did. I think the the second half of it really kind of pulls it together. I agree. I agree. Uh, it's well. I mean, it's he's got a unique situation in his life, doesn't doesn't he? Um, for, he does. for those who don't know anything about this or Val Kilmer's current situation, mm-hmm. um, he has had throat cancer, mm-hmm. 
and um, the result of which is he has this device around his neck with a hole in it. And in order to talk, he has to put a finger to cover the hole in his throat. And then when he talks, he sounds like the voiceover for uh, uh, an alien in a science fiction. True, uh, true. I mean, he sounds very unusual. It's yeah. hard to sometimes discern what he's saying. You have to really concentrate. Uh, and it's, here you have somebody who is an actor who speaking is at the very core of what he's done for so many years. And now it's the biggest challenge that he has. Yes. Um, so it's to start with, it's heartbreaking right off the top. It's true. You know, and you think of the, the word soliloquy. I can't say the word. Soliloquy? <laughs> yeah. You think of that word and it's so important. Uh, he studied Hamlet. He studied acting at Juilliard. He's the youngest person at, in, at, at that time to go to Juilliard. Um, and he has a passion for performing, but he also has a passion for watching performances. And, you know, as an artist, that's what I loved about this film. Mm -hmm. I loved it that he uh, he's never let the edge of a page uh, stop him from making a collage. <laughs> exactly. He's got these scrapbooks um, that it's, extend. Well, he's, he's well, well known in the movie industry for being difficult. Right. That's what or they say about people. That's what they say about people who are really Who want to make sure it's right. And make sure it's right. Um, you know, I, I've come to hands with people about something that you just don't believe in the way it's being presented, you know, or performed or shot. You know, I mentioned that with um, uh, our guest last week that, you know, as a filmmaker, oftentimes in camera operators, they are guys. And there's a cultural um, gulf there where, and, and then you come across and maybe you're friendly like me, maybe you look, I, I come, I present as very ditzy and not knowing what I'm talking about. And I know that it's a curse of my life it's not going to change. It's just the way it is. And I communicate in a weird way that makes it sound like maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. And Hey, fuck, sometimes I don't know what I'm talking about, but um, I've actually had to take, ask the camera operator, man, please just hold your camera for a second. I'm going to show you that this might work. It usually turns out that people afterwards, I've had camera operators text me later and say, you know what? I thought that was a crazy shot, but I've watched the finished product. That was an amazing shot. And they just, for whatever reason, you've got to put your foot down and, and say, I can't do this. So I'm sure that that makes you look like a bitch. I get the other, it. The other thing about Val Kilmer is that throughout his life, he's had a movie camera yes, and yes. a camcorder with him at all times. At and all times. he's not afraid to use it. Right. He, he's filmed so much of his life from, you know, family things to being on the set with John Frankenheimer saying, oh. I have to run the camera because I don't trust you. Well, you know, what's funny is I thought about that. Yes. So Frankenheimer apparently said some shitty things on set. And so Val Kilmer figured out that the only way he could prevent that or prove it was to keep the camera running because in rehearsal, everyone's got their best decorum. There's almost like a ritual ethics during rehearsal as you do your work. But before that, I guess there's no necessary rule that you can't say yes. derogatory and, and things. Clearly, um, he had joined, was it the Island of Dr. Moreau? Was that the yes, film? Yes. And yes. the original director left or was fired or something. Yeah. And they brought in Frankenheimer, who at that point, I would say, must have been at the end of his career. 
I know it's too bad. I was sad to hear that because I do like him as a director. Well, yeah, but clearly Kilmer had no use for him at all. Um, he is just, he, the way he addresses him, it's like he's talking to a child. Yes. Yes. So we have all this wonderful footage. I mean, he has a lifetime of footage. So here we have a guy talks for a living, can't talk very effectively right now has a lifetime full of um, a lifetime full of footage and he starts to put together this movie and it's it's fascinating you know the last thing most people would do when presented with um, a major disability would be to put it right out in front of people front and center, which is exactly what he's done. Right. And in a really beautiful moment, he gets his son to do a lot of the voiceover. Oh, it's amazing. It's I mean, so and it's really awesome. touching. I mean, it is. It's, it's, it's obviously created a really strong bond between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and there's some good reactions when the son's reading the, the, you know, obviously Val Kilmer's written out the script, right? The narration. And when the kid's, young man he's a young man is reading it sometimes he's like what and it's it gives some comedy there's a lot of comedy in it It, there is it's a very funny it's all you know for me one of the reasons i relate to him is he's west coast he's artsy you know there's a weird thing with west coast you're a little bit avant-garde and i think that's he was ahead of his time with the camera and frankenheimer in my opinion because he was able to we've had so many selfies now and, and people filming that he has been ahead of what is That's very right, because as it turns out, he's been doing it all. He's the all king of, of the life. selfie. And then he's filming Frankenheimer in order to protect himself or be accountable, what, like what we've seen with cops. And, and right now we have a controversy. I, I, I didn't know who the Cuomo brothers were in New York City, to be honest with you. And yesterday, Andrew Cuomo, the governor, has resigned because he finally realize there's just too much evidence that he has been inappropriate in yes, the workplace. But he's admitted nothing. Correct. Correct. He just says he thinks it's the best thing to do. Correct. He's he's completely not going to admit that he did anything wrong and that he was just an innocent bystander in a generational uh, gulf, you know, that he's uh, a paradigm shift. And, you know, I saw a reporter today saying all the things that bullshit in 1986, this was, it was always inappropriate to be sexual on the job, on the job front, always decades and decades. It's always been inappropriate. Um, but the law changed and the law became firm in 1986. It was always ethically wrong. You know, it's funny about the difference between what's right and wrong ethically and what's right and wrong legally. Okay. So with Fel Kilmer, the other part I really liked was he has a clip of his son playing a plastic guitar and then it cuts to his son playing a real guitar and he is just shredding the. Sh- well, he's shredding it when he's a four-year-old and he's shredding it as a, an adult. And I love the room that they're sitting in. It's a, it's a viewing room with all these weird couches and chairs, which really reminded me, going back to this West Coast thing of my good friend Jenny, in her living room, she has all these huge oversized chairs and she'll host movie nights in there or meditation uh, events in this room. And um, I really thought about her when I saw Val Kilmer in there. Hey, I know Jenny is a regular listener. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Jenny. And um, she'll be freaking out that I'm talking about her furniture. (laughs) Sorry. Um, And I hope you watch this. I'm pretty sure Jenny is going to be one of the first people. I mean, this guy is a hottie. He is lovable, funny. He's been in some of the greatest movies. I mean, He's also such a good actor. 
He's such a good actor. I mean, obviously, the other part that was weird is you think you love somebody and you're their favorite fan. You know, it's 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 humbling and inspiring to see that tons of people love Tombstone. I must have seen Tombstone 50 times. I could watch it again right now. Um, and to see all the fans in Austin watching his movie while he's in the back, it's a really incredible story. So I wanted to add that those chairs are like the evidence that he understands the process of watching is part of art just as much as making. The comic I, moment, I, I think, in, Sorry? in the comic moment in Val yeah. is when he's doing he's doing a one man show about Mark Twain, <laughs> oh, yeah. which is pretty interesting because it's not the first one man show about Mark Twain. <laughs> um, Hal Holbrook. Brooke did one for years, right? Um, but he, I think he intended to do a movie. He was going to finance himself, yeah. write and direct. Yes. Um, that was uh, going to be funded by doing the one man show as, as yes. theater. Yes. Um, to avoid selling it, to avoid selling his land. Yes. Yeah. Um, which eventually um, he decides he thinks he has to do. Yeah. Um, but the comic moment is he's talking about the big questions in life and <laughs> yeah. somebody shouts out, why are we here? And his, his uh, answer without blinking is because you spent $70 a ticket. <laughs> I know. He was really good. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned the citizen. Um, he calls it Citizen Twain. Yes. Which is a great pun, which takes us to Citizen Kane, which... Ultimately, this movie is a form of Citizen Kane. It's what makes up a life. How do we find out what makes a life? Who tells the story? And is that narrative absolutely true or not? Because even at the end of Val, we know it's Val's story. And he, if there's truth in it, but he's also a trickster. I mean, we see him. He appears frail. In, sometimes in, he appears frail, but sometimes he doesn't. And that's what I'm talking about. He fakes out his son by falling on the couch and his yes. son's really upset. And he's like, I'm a bastard. I can't help it. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, he, is he, is he ever on? Is he ever off? I mean, I think that's really has to do with consciousness is that he is always constantly, um, you know, he's always aware that he's performing and relationships in a lot of ways are performing. I, I got a depression a few years ago. I, I get low depression great depression every now and then I, I think a lot of us do and I went to my family doctor and he's like I said I think you're gonna have to give me medication I'm sorry if I've told the story already um and he said I'm gonna uh, he's I don't know why don't you talk to me I've been trained in this you talk to me for six eight weeks and, I, and I'll figure out whether you need medication so the first visit we went once a week the first visit is he said it said, sounds like you need to make more money and you need more sleep I'm like yeah <laughs> definitely he also said, he said a number of things that were wisdom. He had used years. that before. Huh? He had probably used that before because who among us doesn't need to make more money and get more sleep? Well, it's true. But I guess that, he, you know, he saw a gullible, you know, a gullible person that could be hypnotized into feeling better. And I'm all about that. I'm totally fine with that. This guy did talk me through a lot of things. And I recommended him to um, many other family members and friends. They all could not stand this guy. I, <laughs> I really liked him. I got him. He was he he was the first person I knew. He taught me about doctors um, beyond borders. You know, he was one of the early pioneers of that um, volunteer work, in fact. Uh, and so he would say things like, you know, 
a large part of relationships and a large part of life is acting. And I'd go home and I'd be, what the fuck? It was like when I went to Robin Wood's class for Hitchcock. And I'd go home and I'd like, what the hell? Like, really? And, um, you know, it, there's a lot of truth to that. A lot of it is that we don't always say everything to the person that might hurt them. Or that we, if you fake it till you make it, basically, try. And he would, what else did he say? He would say, um, if life is a game, you have to decide whether you're going to be a good sport or a sore loser. I got home and I was so pissed off. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck again? And then I went, oh, I'm being a sore loser. Okay, he's right. I get to choose whether I'm going to be a good sport about what happens in my life or a sore loser. Um, anyway, I thought that was funny. The acting thing came up because Val Kilmer, you've got to get up and change the baby's diaper. You've got to go on with your life. If you've got cancer, you've got to push forward. A lot of that is summoning that energy of an actor. When you talk about uh, acting and therapy, it reminds yes. me of a radio show that used to be syndicated. Maybe it still is. I don't mm. know. But they used to play it late at night in one of our local radio stations. Okay. And it was the Dr. Joy Brown show. <laughs> okay. I don't know if you've heard her. No, I don't Ch think I did. Chicago area. No, no. Um, uh, but one of the things that she would say when someone would call and talk about something terrible that they've done, mm. her advice was typically take it to your grave. Yeah. Right. Whereas the person wants to um, wants to fess up to their partner or their family or whoever mm. it may be mm. um, and have this great big cathartic moment. And she's like, oh, no, don't do that. Take that to your grave. Just move wow, on, move wow, on. Wow, wow, and, wow. It's, I don't remember very much about the show, but I remember that. I remember two things. One, everybody would say, thank you for taking my call, which <laughs> I, I had not heard much American talk radio before. And in, in American talk radio, they always say, thank you for taking my call. Less so in, in Canada. Oh, uh, yeah. Because in um, Canada, we understand that that's the game. They take calls, right? But anyway, um, she right, would say, right. take it to the grave. Yeah, I, I'm going to say maybe that's good advice. Uh, my mom had a severe uh, phobia of birds. I've mentioned that before, I think. Um, I grew up where my sister and I had to chase the birds away in the playground before my mom could take us in there. And um, she went for therapy and hypnosis and stuff. And at one point, her doctor said, you don't need to know why you have this phobia. Like, if it was some childhood thing, you've managed your whole life to kind of get through it. And you're pretty high functioning. <laughs> my mom was a pretty high functioning person. I will give her that. Um, I don't think it was all as good as the doctor thought, but we'll leave that for another day. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe she didn't need to know that. And then you've got the movies like Spellbound and, and Dr. Drew, you're only as sick, sick as your secrets. I think that those secrets are more important that you know that they're there and you should be humble. Don't be an arrogant asshole when you know you've done terrible things. And you take it to your grave, but you move forward accordingly as a compassionate soul. I just looked up Dr. Joy Brown. Yes. And uh, she actually passed in on August 27, 2016, suddenly in, mm -hmm. uh, in Manhattan at age 71. Oh. And she had her call-in show for like 20 years. There you go. Uh, was no, Brown was also her. known for her one year rule, which states that people who have lost a spouse or longtime partner due to yep. breakup, death or divorce should wait a minimum of one year before resuming romantic relationships. Wow. I thought that was a normal, but I agree with that completely. I thought that was a normal kind of thing. She was also known for her advice to act stupid and cheerful when dealing <laughs> with difficult people. <laughs> 
Oh, yes, that works for me very, very much. So. Um, she also have jokingly <laughs> suggested that people wait until they're 40 or 45 years old before having sex due to the emotional nakedness involved, in addition to the physical. I, I, I would have said 30. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's, I mean, there, there's a real character for you with those kind of, maybe yeah. she's not literal, but they're saying, she's made a point of that you shouldn't just jump into this because it that's right i mean i would say certainly you shouldn't get married until you're um at least 30 or 40. yeah yeah you know, when i see people get married like at at 17 or 18 or 19 i know i think oh man you know you'd be just as happy if you just enjoyed yourself for a few years and then pursued the long-term relationship. Well, right. And I guess also, you know, you're, if it is so-called true love, if there is such a thing, which I think there is, I think there is true love. I think there's lots of true love. You can have true love a couple of times, but, um, and then there's more love, the more loving you are, the more love there is. That's right. Um, and so, yes, if it is true love and you're 17, uh, you could, then wait till you're 25, do some things. It doesn't mean you have to have sex with everybody. I mean, there's a weird thing where just because, you, you know, the sex part could wait, but I don't know if either you or I are the people to give advice about, about this. Um, I don't have any advice. I just have all my bad mistakes. <laughs> I, don't know hey, I don't have any advice either, although I didn't get married until I was 40. There you go. It's pretty hard to have kids when you're 40, 45. Oh, I, we have any intention of. I don't mean kids. you. I meant other people. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's true. Although yeah. some people, yeah. some people do. That is true. Some people do. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Diane Keaton adopted kids in her fifties. Yeah, yeah. But she has of a lot of money. She has a lot of money, and they have a lot of ability to get support systems of nannies waking up, helping carry the babies, helping carry things, drivers. That's not really the same as what most of us have, right? Um, That's right. So you're not going to get any uh, any love and marriage advice here on the no, agency. I don't think so. <laughs> love, I can, I, I love, but love is universal. Loves in the mushrooms. Loves in the trees. Loves in the ground. Loves in us. <laughs> That's it. There's my uh, West Coast philosophy for today. My dad used to say, "Son, married people don't live longer. It only seems that way." <laughs> and my grandmother used to say, "It's just a." as easy to fall in love with a rich person as it is a poor person. <laughs> she also used to say, um, you know, love is like a streetcar. If you miss one, there's another along in 15 minutes. I'm like, Grandma, that's, what if I forgot my transfer? <laughs> uh, any food notes today? Well, all I could say is that, oh. that if there's anybody around who needs any tomatoes or zucchinis, <laughs> oh, just come there. by 1527 Street and say, I hear you have free tomatoes oh today. Oh, my God. I've um, eaten so many tomato sandwiches. Tomato sandwiches every day. Today, just before uh, we started recording, I did have uh, a green, uh, green, um, Oh, I forget the, the name of the tomato, but it, it ripens green. It turns Fried a little yellow tomato. on top. It's a green tomato, <laughs> okay. um, but it's a ripe green tomato. It doesn't ever turn red. Um, and I had a tomato sandwich, green, with mm -hmm. uh, white bread, too much mayo, and extra thick slices of smoky bacon. Oh, and, and a Havarti jalapeno cheese. Ooh, and God. sliced hot 
chilies from the garden. That sounds so amazing. Now it I, was really good. I'm on the border of pledging to not eat bread, so I'm really in a difficult you can't, position. You can't have that pledge until after tomato season. Once I'm tomato season is over, go for it. But I, I mean, know. right now. I could not stop eating bread or mayo because there's all those tomatoes that have know, to be consumed. It's so good. Um, well, and we also, have two other things. Oh, go ahead. There's in our house, somebody came to stay with us and they brought about 50 pounds of cheese with them. I'm not mentioning any names, but I keep finding blocks of cheese in my You've refrigerator. You've got to make the mac and cheese and cook it in half milk, half water and tell us how it works out. Oh, I guess I'm going to have to do that. Yeah. Um, just, uh, I was going to do some shopping today and, and Sheila said, we don't need cheese. <laughs> you need to make a cheese sauce. End I of guess, story. I guess that's uh, it. We have, I don't want to forget that we do have mail, but let's get to that in a second. Um, right. We have an email from Adamandia. Um, okay. <clears throat> the second thing is, oh, I have been addicted to ranch dressing. Uh, my daughter made ranch dressing when I was there and it was so Flipping good. I've been, I've made it two or three times. You've made homemade I, ranch dressing. Homemade ranch dressing. And it's so good. I'm going to tell you the recipe right now. And um, I'll tell you the recipe and it's delicious. And I'll tell you why it's delicious, but you can also find it online. Okay. So you don't have to panic about uh, that. I won't. It came from online once upon a chef ranch dressing. It looks like they have a really good green goddess dressing too, but I haven't made it because I don't know many people who like tarragon except me. So ah. the ranch dressing is half a cup sour cream. Oh, the secret to this ranch dressing is fresh chives. Okay. Um, half a cup buttermilk, one quarter cup Hellman's mayonnaise, and I'm a huge believer in Hell's mayonnaise, Hellman's mayonnaise, and um, so is this recipe. Uh, two garlic cloves, a teaspoon of salt, one quarter teaspoon pepper, one and a half teaspoon dried dill. It has to be dried. And meanwhile, one quarter cup fresh, finely chopped chives and two teaspoons lemon juice. I made it without the lemon juice, a hundred times better with lemon juice. Okay. It's insane. The texture, you just whip it up with a whisk. It's so, so good. So yeah, we had a brief email. It was just a really a question from Adamandia. I don't That's know. Right. I, I pulled it up here. Okay, great. Um, she referred to something that came up a couple of uh, episodes ago in which um, you mentioned uh, the famous surrealist joke. How many surrealists does it take to uh, change a light bulb? Mm -hmm. And I immediately answered a fish. And mm -hmm. she asked the question, um, is that from the movie Slam Dance? And I didn't know. And I responded to her saying, well, oh, it's candy. I have no idea. <laughs> well, you an answer to that? It is mentioned in the, it is told in the movie Slam Dance. And you know what? I had seen Slam Dance so long ago, I didn't remember anything about it. Um, I had forgotten that Adam Ant is in that, and I'm a huge fan of Adam Ant. How I could have forgotten that he was in that movie is beyond me. Um, but I really had not thought about that movie at much. It didn't do well in the box office. Um, it's very slow and strangely paced. I can't really recommend it. It's an odd movie but it's pretty artsy. So there's some fun things in it. Um, Tom Hulse, who had come off of easily off of Amadeus a few years earlier was a pretty hot star at the time and his apartment, he has a hole in the wall and it's attached to a, what I would call a bathhouse. So he has his artist studio in this bathhouse and that is worth it just to see that in the movie. Um, and it's, um, he's a cartoonist. Um, and it's a crime drama. It's, it's got a lot of problems. 
but Adamant is his agent and Adamant is the one who tells the joke. So I found the movie on YouTube and I filmed Adamant telling the joke. My feeling is Adamant tells this joke very poorly. He doesn't have any kind of delivery. And for a man who's saying the song Stand and Deliver, he should be able to deliver a joke. So I think it's on purpose that part of his character is that he's not good at telling jokes. Light bulb jokes in general were very popular in the 1960s and 70s. That's kind of where a lot of them came. Uh, so I don't think it was written in that script. I think that the writer would have made it a better told joke, but I don't know. I don't have an answer, but I'm going to say I don't think so. But I don't have a definitive answer. And But it was yeah. great, Adam and was I watched the movie again. And I watched the whole thing on YouTube and I did enjoy many parts of it, but it really had a problem with pacing. It was too. You know, too... there's a banjo version of the light bulb joke. I did not know that. Yes. How many, how many um, bluegrass banjo players does it take to change a light bulb? Oh, it's gotta be six and they all take a turn. Um, well, you're, you're close. It is six, <laughs> one to change a light bulb and the other five to talk about how Earl would have done it. Oh, wow. I was thinking of everyone taking their solo. <laughs> ah, okay. That, that works too. Right. Okay. And we won't get into, uh, in, into banjo jokes. There are many. Yes. No, no. I'm, people can Google them. That's right. <laughs> you can Google a lot of light bulb jokes too. I did a lot of Googling trying to find out if that joke, what year that Although joke was written. I will mention I my favorite. It. And okay. that is what do banjos and oboes have in common? I don't know, and I know you've told me this joke before. They both make great kindling for an accordion oh, fire. Oh, wow. <laughs> and only a banjo player can, you know, can stand up proudly and tell these jokes. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard, you know, I'm working on fiddle these days, and I haven't heard any fiddle player jokes. I'm sure there are some. That's because they're afraid of, everyone's afraid of the devil. Well, I'm sure that's it. Um, and what I would like to know from our listeners, and I'm sure someone out there mm. will know and be able to tell me, why is it that some fiddlers put the rattle from a rattlesnake into their fiddle? Does it keep the devil away? Mm. Which you want to do, especially if you've already made the deal. You want to mm. keep him at bay. Mm -hmm. uh, mm. um, or uh, somebody has suggested online that, well, it cleans the dust out of the inside of your fiddle. But how much dust is going to get in those little F holes? I don't wow. know. Uh, so a lot of old time fiddlers have a rattle in their fiddle. Um, I've heard that if when you have the rattle in your fiddle, if you play too aggressively, the rattle buzzes. And when you hear the buzz, it reminds you to not play as aggressively, to temper mm. your play. Don't know if that's true either. Oh. Don't know why it is. Um, but uh, if I had a rattle, I'd probably put one in my fiddle, even without knowing the reason. But I would like to know. And if you can write in and tell us why fiddle players, the correct answer, why fiddle players put a rattle in their fiddle, we will send you an oh. agency mug. Oh, excellent. I love it. Absolutely. We have some new agency mugs we just also looking to, for homes. Excellent. We also have to come up with a prize or a contest for Mighty Lopez album. Yes, we, we're going to we give away. We have an album. We're going to give it away. We just don't know away. what we're going to do to do that. That's right. So if you have any ideas what you should have to do <laughs> in order to get 
um, the Mighty Lopez album, Maybe which is great. And everybody, great. everybody should. In our last episode, we had uh, Lopez's email. Yes. We should be bombarding that man with emails saying, how can I get Tales from the Wood? That's right. Because and- it is fabulous. And, you know, I think we ought to be all supporting uh, our friend Lopez yep. living up there in the in the near north. Uh, he's he's really done an excellent effort with this uh, with this album. Yes. Really good songs. Well performed. <laughs> and I guess if if maybe even just the email telling us what we should do as a contest, maybe that'll be the winning email. I don't know. Some, I don't know what some days when it comes to mail, we'll take what we could get. <laughs> yes, that's right. Okay, fantastic. Um, oh, and to get that, um, to get music by Moses Light, Lighter Gang, Mr. Wu's Pigs, you can visit our Facebook page. And, and here is um, Lopez's email. It's mightylopez9 at gmail.com. Uh, we want you to buy Citizen, Citizen, Mr. Wu's Pigs, all of that. But right now, you need to go order Mighty Lopez. Uh, Tales from the Wood, it's fantastic CD. And we're gonna we love it so much we're gonna give away as a prize. All right. All right. Because we like to give away prizes. I really fucking stumbled all over that whole last thing. Anyway, we got through it. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good. Uh, anything else on your mind today? Um I'd also like to recommend an album by another one of our guests, uh, Joe Newberry. Yes. Uh, If you could get hold of his Two Hands album, I highly recommend it. And also, uh, Joe is back out um, uh, traveling around, playing again. So if he comes to your town, you be sure to see him. He puts on a great show. Yes. Another of our guests. Yes. Very good. And that's it for me this week. I think so for me, too. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Bye.